Welcome to The Word at First Pres. During Lent, we are doing a sermon series called Parables of Jesus, where we examine various parables that Jesus taught during his ministry. The goal of this series is to examine the messages from these parables and how they are asking us to change internally through our spirituality and externally through our behaviors. I hope you enjoy. The Parable of the Wicked Tenants from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. Then Jesus began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the season came, he sent a slave to the tenants to collect from them his share of the produce of the vineyard. But they seized him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent another slave to them. This one they beat over the head and insulted. Then he sent another, and that one they killed. And so it was with many others. Some they beat and others they killed. He sent, he had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent the beloved son to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir, come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they seized him, killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. When they realized that he had told this parable against them, they wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowd, so they left him and went away. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The betrayal and arrest of Jesus. After Jesus had spoken these words, He went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees. And they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward and asked them, Whom are you looking for? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus replied, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, Whom are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you are looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken, I did not lose a single one of those whom you gave me. 
Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword back into its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the soldiers, their officer, and the Jewish police arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they took him to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was better to have one person die for the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Throughout Lent, we have been doing a sermon series on the parables of Jesus. Alex will finish up this series on Easter morning. A parable is a story told to illustrate a moral or a spiritual lesson. The beauty of parables is that when they are told well, they convey deep truths to the people listening or reading them. The truth found in each parable has layers so that there are often many truths found in each parable. Through Jesus' parables, we learn more about Jesus' intentions for our lives. The parable that we read at the beginning of worship tonight is actually a little different from some of the other parables we've studied. It is full of violence and wickedness, death and destruction, and it actually serves as a prediction of Jesus' coming death. Mark uses language that is familiar to the Jewish community. The vineyard has long been a symbol for the promises of the Jewish covenantal community. The Jewish people are God's vineyard. In Mark's gospel, the vineyard language is used to refer to the qualities of life that one would find in God's kingdom. God, according to Mark, has left these qualities in the care of the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders. This parable then is not only a glimpse of what is coming to Jesus, but it is also a picture of what happens when God's kingdom is threatened and violated. It is a prediction of Jesus' death and it poses a question to each of us. Will we give the landowner what belongs to him? Will we serve God in a way that manifests the kingdom of God? Or will we continue to live in the midst of darkness, division, and destruction? The parable of the wicked tenants is found in Mark's gospel after Jesus' triumphal ride into Jerusalem, after his act of turning over the tables in anger in the temple. As the priests, the scribes, and all other religious leaders are questioning his authority more and more frequently, and it also comes just before the night on which he is ultimately betrayed. 
Those questioning Jesus' authority want to know where his authority comes from. And as he often does, Jesus answers their question with a question of his own. Did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? Now, the religious leaders are caught between the proverbial rock and a hard place. If they say the authority of the baptism came from heaven, then Jesus has an opening to say that his authority also comes from heaven. If, on the other hand, they say it is human authority, then many of the people who believe that John was a prophet will become angry with them. So they take the middle road. We do not know. What the leaders don't count on is that this leaves Jesus a perfect opening to refuse to answer their question. Instead of giving the answer for which they are holding their collective breath, Jesus begins to tell them the story of a man who owned a vineyard. The landowner does several things to make his vineyard profitable. He puts a fence around it to protect it from other animals or other people to stake out his property, so to speak. He digs a pit for the wine press and he builds a watchtower. All of these things will make this a very lucrative property and relatively easy to manage. Once the landowner does all of these things, or at the very least oversees the fact that they are done, he hires tenants to manage his property. This was not unusual then, and it is not unusual now. Many people who own acreage hire others to manage their land. The owner, however, in this case, expects a pretty big cut of the profits. It is, after all, his land. He did all the building on it. He got it all ready to set up as a business. Our landowner returns and decides it's time to collect his profits from the land or the produce from the land. We can assume, based on the behavior that follows, that the tenant farmers think the property owner is, acting for far, is asking for far too much in terms of what the land has yielded. The property owner doesn't show up himself to ask for what is his due, but instead he sends other employees. The first employee that he sends gets beaten, and they send the tenants send him back to the landowner empty-handed. Now, we do not need to have a vivid imagination to realize that when this beat-up employee comes back empty-handed to the landowner, this is not going to go over well. It's his land. He gets to determine what is his share, and it is time for him to get his share. So he sends another employee to the tenants, and they beat this one over the head and insult him and send him back empty-handed. Yet a third employee is sent, and by now the tenants are so enraged 
at the demands of the property owner that they kill the third person sent. The landowner is clearly seeing a pattern here, yet he does not seem to get it, nor does he want to negotiate for himself what is his due. Instead, he sends several more of his employees, all of whom are beaten and sent away empty-handed, or in some cases, killed. Death and destruction all around him, and still no profits. At this point, the story would certainly be newsworthy. I can hear Lester Holt on NBC Evening News giving us a warning. Some of what you are about to see may be disturbing. No kidding. It's disturbing to watch a mob beat and abuse others. It is disturbing to watch and listen as gunfire rings out in the air all around a shopping center and people lie dead in the parking lot. It is disturbing to watch a police officer put his knee to the neck of another human being until they can no longer find a pulse on that human being. It is heartbreaking to see children kept in cages covered with mylar blankets. It is completely unbelievable to know that more than 500,000 Americans have died in this pandemic. The death and destruction that surrounds us on a daily basis is so disturbing that we are beginning to become numb to it. Eight candles on the table two weeks ago, 10 candles on the communion table last Sunday, upwards of 30 people shot, some killed every single weekend in our very own city. When does the death and destruction end? The property owner thinks he has a solution. He has a beloved son. He's going to send his son, because after all, the tenants will respect the son. This property owner is so blinded by his own wealth and his own power that even after several employees have been killed on this mission, killed by these tenants to which he is going to send the beloved son, he's still willing to send his beloved son. His beloved son. The property owner is operating under the misguided perception that these tenants who have already shown themselves to be murderers will for some reason respect the property owner's son. We can hope against hope for a different ending but we always get the same ending on this night. The beloved son is recognized as heir to the property, as a person who could well turn the vineyard on its head, as one who will someday have the right and privilege to dismiss the murdering tenants. The son, the beloved son is recognized 
as a very real threat to the power structure. And these tenants don't want anyone to threaten their power. They murder him. They murder the beloved son. And they throw him out without a backward glance. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Death and destruction, it surrounds us on this night. It happens every year reminding us that we are the ones holding the power. We are the ones who don't want to change our lives or our behavior, so we ignore every messenger and every message that comes from God, the kings and the judges and the prophets and even the beloved son. We ignore them all to protect what we believe belongs to us. We turn our back on the beloved son, denying him, betraying him, crucifying him. We can't seem to understand that every time we throw Jesus out of the vineyard, we throw out an opportunity to build God's kingdom. We can't seem to understand that the son that we are willing to kill in place of a common criminal is actually the cornerstone on which God's kingdom will be built. A whole new way of life is what the beloved son can bring. The beloved son is our path to abundant love and abundant life. The beloved son shows us how to build the kingdom of God. The beloved son leads us in the way of justice, peace, and hope so that death and destruction can finally be vanquished. There will be no more candles on the communion table representing those who have been senselessly murdered. There will be no more knees to the necks of human beings, no more children left in cages, no more hunger or homelessness, no more unfair systems and institutions. The beloved son is the way out of death and destruction. But tonight, we don't understand that. Tonight, all we know is that we want the whole vineyard for ourselves. We want everything to stay the same as it has always been. We don't want 
to let go of our power or our possessions, even when it means killing the beloved son. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. We put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of the hyssop, and we held it to his mouth. When the beloved son had received the wine, we heard him say, it is finished. And we watched as he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And we thought everything could be the way it had always been. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.